Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. It is a pleasure to be with you. Uh, as was mentioned, I've got my wife Susan, we've got our four girls, our son-in-law Houston McClure, and we have absolutely enjoyed our time here so far. And we want to thank you for the incredibly warm welcome that has been extended, extended to us, uh, with one exception. So I, I got to share with you the one exception. So uh, I did graduate from Auburn University in Montgomery, but uh, I've already mentioned to some of you, I'm actually a Georgia Bulldog fan. Uh, I grew up outside of Athens and I'm a diehard Georgia fan. And uh, I'm a little suspect of Tyler now, I got to tell you. I, I've learned he's a Georgia Tech fan. And if the slides don't work this morning, it's his fault because he put a Georgia Tech yellow jacket on this thing. All right. I'm struggling to hold it. I'm struggling to keep it in my hand. It's got kind of a weird feel to it, but hopefully we'll be all right. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We are going to spend the bulk of our time together here in Luke chapter 22, but if you want to place a marker there, we will take a look at a few other passages together. If you were in our Bible class session this morning in the auditorium, then you will remember this particular part of what I talked about. I'm always amazed at what God has left for us providentially for you and me in Scripture. Out of all the things that have ever occurred from the time of creation to the conclusion of the writing of the New Testament, it fascinates me to think about what God has preserved for you and for me. One of the things that's interesting as we read Scripture, in my opinion, is to think about individuals and how they are portrayed for you and me on the pages of Scripture. We see men and women at some of their greatest moments in life. My mind goes back to Joshua. As he stood before the children of Israel, in, in my mind, one of the greatest scenes in all of Scripture as he stood before God's chosen people and he proclaimed, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he would go on to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can't you almost picture that in your mind? How incredible that scene must have been. How much courage it must have taken for him to do that very thing, to stand before all those people and proclaim that wonderful statement. I think about David. A mere shepherd boy. As he stood before that giant Goliath with all the confidence that anybody in the world has ever had, knowing that God would deliver Goliath into his hand. What an incredible moment. I think about the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. As he stood up in front of those thousands of Jews from all the different areas and as he proclaimed that incredible gospel message, the keys, as you will, that Jesus had promised him to unlock the kingdom, to unlock the doors, to establish the Lord's church. 
great, significant moments in history. But you know, God also preserved for us examples of individuals at some of their lowest points in life. As much as I think of David before Goliath, I'm also reminded of David and his incredible sin with Bathsheba. His lies, his deceit, the ultimate murder of Uriah. And it's painted for you and for me in vivid, vivid detail. And as I think about examples like that, my mind goes to this question, why? Why did God include all of these extreme examples and all of these things that are preserved for you and for me? I don't pretend to know all the answers to that question, why? I'm not sure any of us truly can. But I can't help but think, at least in part, there are a few reasons that you and I can logically conclude. One is this, is to remind you and me that no matter what we read on the pages of this text, the men and women throughout history are just that. They're men and women. They're individuals that were faced with choices, just like you and I are faced with choices every day of our lives. They're individuals that some of them chose to stand for God, to fulfill their given purpose at that moment in history, and those examples are preserved for you and for me. But then those failures are preserved for you and for me as well to remind us that as humans, we have frailties. And at times, we make the wrong choices and we fail miserably. But in spite of those failures, there's the ability to come back and to serve God and to be faithful. This morning, I want us to consider an example of one of those failures together. I love the Apostle Peter for various reasons. And if I'm honest with you, one of the reasons I enjoy him so much is because on a personal level, I can kind of relate to him. And I'm not talking about the Peter that we're going to read about from Acts chapter 2 throughout the rest of the book of Acts. I'm really talking about the Peter that we read about in the Gospels. You see, I I can kind of relate to him on a personal level. You know, he's zealous. He's energetic. He wants to do the right thing. But what happens many times? Many times is... His, his zealousness, his mouth kind of gets in front of him, doesn't it? We see him many times where he puts his foot in his mouth. He gets overzealous and he steps out before he's fully thought something through. If I'm honest with you, I've been guilty of that at points in my life as well. Good intention, meaning to do well, but sometimes my mouth opens and the words come out before my mind really is engaged fully in what I'm going to think about. I'm not sure there's any moment in the life of Peter that's any lower than the night he spent in the courtyard of Jesus' arrest. Perhaps one of the lowest points of anybody in all of Scripture. And as we think about that text together this morning in Luke chapter 22, I want us to think about it from the standpoint that this incident, this historical fact has been preserved in Scripture for you and for me so that you and I might learn from this example We might be able to see something from Peter's life that might in turn help us as we think about how we live here on this earth together. So as we think about this particular example, I want us to look at the text together and I want us to see some significant events 
in Peter's life that will have relevance to you and to me. The first thing I want us to see is the significance of our own commitment. Begin with me in verse 54. Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. You know, I think there's two sides to this coin. But that phrase, Peter followed at a distance, is interesting to me. If we go back to Mark's account of the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, as we come to the conclusion of that particular example in verse 50, we read the words that they, the apostles, forsook him and fled. Now I want you to think about that for just a minute. Here's Jesus. In one of the most difficult periods in all of his life, as he lived in the flesh here on this earth, And here are those that are absolutely closest to him. And what does Mark record? They forsook him and fled. But not Peter. Not Peter. Peter actually followed as they arrested Jesus, as they took him to the courtyard of the high priest, and the other apostles fled. Peter and the apostle that Jesus loved followed. But Luke records for us, how Peter followed. And it says that he followed at a distance. Leave your marker here and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 22, or Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And in order to really appreciate verse 24, which is where I want to focus our attention on, we really need to go back and get a little bit of the context. So go back with me to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And you know, it's interesting. This isn't the first time that Jesus has tried to tell his apostles that he's going to have to die. He's going to suffer and he's going to be resurrected the third day. But you see, many times, like Jesus had always done as he instructed them, they're having trouble connecting the dots, if you will. They're having trouble fully comprehending exactly what Jesus is trying to tell them. And listen to what Peter does. Verse 22 says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. Stop and think about that with me for just a minute. Can you imagine? Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. There's Peter, isn't it? Mr. Zealous. Maybe talking before he's fully thought through what he's about to say. Jesus turns to him in verse 23 and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You you are an offense for me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. Then Jesus said this to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see, it's as if Jesus sets before Peter and all of the other apostles this important fact. There are going to be two paths in life that you have to choose between. You can either choose a path of following yourself or you can deny yourself and you can follow me. And Jesus doesn't leave any room for middle ground. It's going to be one of the two. Everybody that lives on this earth is going to deny one of two individuals. They're either going to deny themselves or they're going to deny Jesus. 
And Jesus looks at Peter, who had just rebuked him in the context of the other disciples. And he says, you need to be prepared for what's about to happen. You want to be my disciple? You've got to utterly disown everything about yourself. You've got to put all your wants, all your desires, anything that has to do with your life goes to the background. You deny yourself. You choose my way of life. And that begins by taking up your cross and following me. You know, you and I, we read that and we think about it in terms of take up our cross in the sense of burdens, in the sense of struggles or difficulties that you and I might be faced uh, faced with. Don't lose sight for one second what it meant to the apostles that he's speaking to. What had Jesus just done? He had just told them that he was going to have to suffer and die and be resurrected. Jesus, in this context to his apostles, meant exactly what he said. Not only do you have to deny yourself, you've got to be willing to take up your cross even to the point of death. Luke would add for us, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. Now think about these words in the context of how Peter followed here in Luke chapter 22. You see, when it comes to our commitment to Jesus, when it comes to how you and I are going to follow Christ, Jesus says, it needs to be all or really nothing. Because that middle ground, in essence, is following at a distance. Just like Peter did here. And I could make an argument, and I think you and I can make an argument as we go through this text together, that that's really the beginning of Peter's troubles. That's really where it all starts to unravel with everything that's about to follow. It all started with his lack of full commitment. Now listen, to be fair, if I'm in Peter's shoes, i got to be honest, I probably do the same thing. Let's not forget that Peter's a person just like you and me. Peter deals with insecurities. Think about what he's just witnessed. Here's the man that he has just given the last three years of his life to. And he has watched him be arrested by a mob with clubs and torches that they have bound him and they are now leading him off. He has no earthly idea fully what's about to happen. And in his mind, I'm sure he's thinking I could be next. He had the courage to at least do what the others didn't do. But the reality is Jesus had said, you got to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. And that's exactly the situation that Peter finds himself in. From there, though, we see the significance of our choices. Let's keep reading together. Verse 55. Now that when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. That seems innocent enough, doesn't it? It's springtime in Jerusalem and in the springtime, especially at night, it gets cold. The temperature starts to drop. I've got to believe physically, emotionally, Peter is probably getting point or to the point of exhaustion. And now it's cold on top of it. You can imagine physically how he must feel. We can almost picture this scene in our minds, if you will. And and as he is exhausted and tired and cold, he looks and right there in the middle of the courtyard is a fire. I probably would have sat down at it, wouldn't you? I mean, that seems to be human nature. Maybe it seems to be an insignificant choice. But what we notice is, who does Peter set down amongst? All Luke says is is that he sat down amongst them. Now, we don't know exactly who the them are. But you and I can draw some conclusions. 
I can tell you this much, they're not friends of Jesus. They're not advocates of Christ. They're not there to speak on behalf of Jesus to say He is the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied about. They're not there to to testify on His behalf. Some of them were part of the mob, more than likely, that had gone to arrest Him. Others maybe had already started to hear what was happening and had come out of curiosity. But we know that they were not there as friends of Jesus. That's the crowd that Peter sat down amongst as he sat down at that fire. Think about the Proverbs writer with me. Proverbs chapter 14. Listen to these words in Proverbs chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his ways, but the folly of fools is deceit. You think that describes the crowd that Peter sat down among? Listen to Proverbs chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. An angry mob, right, had just come to get Jesus. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Of course, we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's exactly what we see here as Peter sits down at this fire. The choice to sit down amongst them. Listen to what happens. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. In essence, what she's saying is Peter was associated with Jesus in that crowd. Verse 57, but he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. The, the, the verb there, the words there, Peter in essence is saying, I don't have any information about Jesus, this accusation that I'm associated with him. Verse 58, and after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. Notice how the accusation gets a little bit more personal. In essence, you're one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not with that one statement. Peter, in essence, denounces the last three years of his life, his fellowship, his mission, his association with Christ. Verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, surely this fellow also was with him for he is a Galilean. Susan and I, when when I worked in the secular world, we had to move several times for my job. Twice we actually had to live in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. You know, it's interesting. As I've gotten older, I feel like I've actually lost a lot of my accent growing up in Georgia. But when we lived in Pennsylvania, everybody thought we had an accent. Everywhere we went, that's always the first question. Where are you from? (laughs) That's basically what happens to Peter here, you see. He couldn't escape his accent, if you will. He was a Galilean. When he spoke, there was an accent to his voice that he couldn't deny. And so here the accusation is made, you've got to be one of them because you are a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. The simple choice to sit by a fire seems innocent enough, doesn't it? Something more than likely that if I think about it, I would have done. That simple choice puts Peter in the middle of an environment that turns out to be detrimental to him. 
We see the significant of his commitment. We see the significant of his choice. But now I want us to turn our attention to the significance of Christ. Look with me now, the second part of verse 60. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? I want you to just think with me for just a moment. Can you imagine what must have gone through Peter's mind at that split second? We don't know exactly where Jesus was. Maybe he's in a room and he can look out of a window and he sees Peter and he, he, he hears what has just occurred. Maybe Jesus is being led across that courtyard. Whatever the situation is, I want you to think about what it must have been like as that rooster crowed, as Peter's eyes lift up and there's Jesus making direct eye contact with him. I, I can't even begin to imagine I don't know exactly what type of message Jesus conveyed through that look. Part of me has to think, yes, there was an element of, Peter, how could you? I warned you of this. How could you do it? I I told you. But I also have to believe this is Jesus we're talking about. And I have to believe there was a sense of, Peter, I love you. Don't you see what's happening at this very moment? Don't you know what's coming? I've told you about it. And it's that look and whatever message Jesus conveyed combined with that rooster crowing that brings all of this back to Peter's mind. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. This isn't just a few tears that were shed. Peter sobbed uncontrollably. (laughs) If the story were to end here, it would indeed be a tragedy, wouldn't it? If this was all there were to the story, if there was nothing else that occurred after this, Peter, in essence, would have ended right here. But you see, it's not. Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This chapter opens, Jesus has been resurrected. He's now appearing to the apostles and to other eyewitnesses. The chapter opens with the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. You've got Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee. You've got the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, I don't know if, in essence, Peter thinks that it's over and there's no recovery. I don't personally necessarily think that's what's in Peter's mind. I think there's a sense that Peter is just going to do what he knows to do because that was Peter's background. So they get in the boat, they go fishing, and what's happening? They're not catching anything. We find them in that situation a lot in Scripture, don't we? But here's Jesus on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. He tells them to cast their nets again on the other side. They do, and they pull up again more fish than they can have. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, recognizes who it is. He tells Simon Peter, what does Peter do? He puts on his outer garments. He can't wait. He jumps into the water and he goes to the shore. And we come to verse number 15. They've had breakfast on the shore. And we read these words. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, if you've ever looked at the original language here, then you might know that when Jesus is asking him the question, do you love me? Jesus is using the word agapeo for love. That sacrificial love that you and I as Christians are to have for each other. The highest form of love. And Peter, in each time that he answers in all three uh, uh, situations, he uses phileo, the brotherly love. And there are those that would argue that Jesus is trying to get Peter to come from this form of brotherly love up to that ultimate form of love. And, And maybe that's true. I would share this with you. If you ever study the book of John and you do a word study on the word love, you'll actually find that John uses phileo and agapeo interchangeably. So I don't know. Maybe there was an element of that in what Jesus is trying to do. But I tend to, I tend to think this. How many times does Jesus ask him the question? Three. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. I personally tend to believe that Jesus is trying to help Peter see just how great Jesus' love is for him. Go back with me now to Luke chapter 22. And I want to take you back to where we began this morning, our scripture reading. Beginning in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And what is Jesus telling? And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. How? How is it possible for someone like Peter to be at the absolute lowest point that he's ever been in his life? And this is not the first failure that we see in Scripture as it relates to Peter. But how can someone go from such an extreme example of failure to what we read about in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the book of Acts? How is that even possible? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, only Jesus is able to take somebody from failure, provide forgiveness that allows an individual then to go on and fulfill the purpose that Christ has for them. Only Jesus can do that. And you see, that's ultimately, in my view, the point of this whole event being left for you and for me. It's so that you and I can understand that all of us, all of us, if we live long enough, are going to have our night in the courtyard. All of us are going to have those moments in our life where we fail. Where we feel like maybe even there's no hope. That there's no way I can ever come back from what I've done. How can Jesus ever take someone like me and ever use me for His service? 
I would answer that question by saying, look at Peter. Look at Peter. And you and I are left with that same question this morning. Jesus, in essence, is looking at every one of us and He's asking this question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And if you and I are willing to love Him, loving Him means being obedient to what He asks. Denying ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. If you and I are willing to do that, there's no failure, there's nothing in our past, there's no night in a courtyard that He can't forgive and put us on our path to fulfilling our purpose in Him. Do you love Him this morning? Do you love Him enough to put your trust in Him? To deny yourself, to be willing to live for Him? Maybe you're in a night in the courtyard at this very moment in your life, if you will. Maybe you've never experienced the initial forgiveness that only He can provide. That begins with a choice to follow Him. Turning from our way of thinking, turning from our own desires to following His way of thinking and His desires. Confessing His beautiful name before others. Being immersed in the waters of baptism to come in contact with His precious blood that He shed on the cross for you and for me. Being willing to then set out on a path in life to give Him everything we have for the rest of our lives. Maybe you've never done that this morning. Or maybe you've done that, but you find yourself in your courtyard moment and you, in essence, are denying Jesus just like Peter did. I would submit to you that your opportunity this morning is to come back home. To experience the, the, the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide. Or maybe you're in that courtyard moment and you just need the love and the support of a church family. To know that there are others that care about you that want to help bear your burden this morning. That's one of the beautiful blessings that God has given us as a part of His family. Whatever your need might be this morning, the Lord's invitation is extended for you. And if there's anything that we can do to help you this morning, won't you come now while together we stand and sing.